Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Lion. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History final. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle butt. Oh yeah, so easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you into a full slate of Blue Wire Gambling Podcast. It's the middle of February, which means we're hitting the college hardwood hot and heavy. My name is Greg Frank. Find me and all of my gambling picks on Twitter, at UndercoverGreg. Joined, as always, by our college basketball partner in crime, co-host Bill Christie, at Larry's Locks 2. You know him as Lucha Larry on gambling Twitter. Bill, good to have you aboard again. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Moseying on through this week. It hasn't been too, too kind. But uh been minimizing damage pretty much as we've gone heading into today. It looks like we should have a profitable day today, and then hopefully we can carry that through tomorrow and Sunday and make it a profitable week. <clears throat> Always the goal. Get a little something for the missus, Valentine's Day? Uh, yeah, got a little something, something up the sleeve. Uh, nothing too, too crazy, but, uh, yeah, you got to get something or else you're going to be in deep, deep stuff so <laughs> well hey for all the men out there and hey maybe there are some women listening too. don't want to discriminate so hopefully uh we got everybody listening to our pod but if there are men out there listening uh we'd love to give you some winners today to recoup any of your uh valentine's day expenses that you might have incurred this week so so there you go we're going to start, uh, as we'll jump right in here, with uh, a few games in the Big Ten to get started. Uh, as, uh, again, it's a Saturday, full rotation in college basketball. Plenty of spots to pick from. And we're going to start in Columbus in, I think, one of the better games of the day. And it happens to come at 12 noon Eastern time. It's the Indiana Hoosiers traveling to Columbus to take on the Ohio State Buckeyes, Indiana Catching six and a half here, total of one thirty nine and a half between these two teams. Bill, I'm curious as to how you're getting at this. Uh, nearly a crossfire, as we we have some consensus plays in the middle of the pod. We're going to end with a crossfire. Nearly started with one. I'm going to be on Indiana here, plus the points for the full game. But I'm going to let you start on Ohio State in the first half. Yeah, I mean, pretty simple uh, fact that. Uh... Indiana's minus three, first half point differential on the road, Ohio State being plus seven. Uh, and they've been consistently solid in these first halves um, over the course of 
pretty much the entire season. You can go back each game and take a look. They were covering against Maryland last game. Uh, previously against Iowa was one where they were actually down, but again, on the road. Uh, against Michigan State at home most recently. They were up 12, so they were covering there. Uh, home against Penn State, they were up by four, which would have been a cover there. Um, so just recent form as far as the first halves. Buckeyes have looked good in these first halves. Um, and then when you flip it on the other side, and you go to Indiana on the road, you know, they were struggling against uh, Northwestern. They trailed in that one after the first half on the road. Uh, previous to that, you'd have to go all the way back to January 21st, but they had Iowa. They were down six on the road. That would have been a loss as well. So it's just basically the fact that Indiana has struggled in the first half on these road trips. Ohio State has looked strong at home um, in the first half. And Ohio State, I hate to say it because I was so down on them prior to the year, they look like they're playing arguably the best ball Within the best conference, you know, right. Michigan hasn't played, I feel like, in three months. Um, so who knows how they're going to come back. Uh, but, I mean, you look at Illinois tonight, and they're struggling against Nebraska in overtime. Uh, Iowa's taken losses recently. Um, you know, there's no team that's really risen above the rest. I mean, you could argue Michigan, but, again, they haven't been playing. Haven't so. played, right. I mean, that's, that's the reason I'm going to be taking Ohio State here. The line did seem a bit fishy. I'm sure that's kind of why you're leaning – uh, your play towards Indiana there. Um, and the fact that Indiana's got to be a hungry team, it's going to be an opportunity for a big win against a top 10 team in the country. But I like the way the first halves have been playing out in these scenarios. So that's where I want to be going. Yeah. And like I said, I'm on the other side here for the full game. Uh, but I could easily talk myself into Indiana starting better here. Again, not going to make it an official crossfire and back the Hoosiers in the first 20. Uh, but I, I just kind of like seeing Indiana pull through, and I'll get more to my anti-Northwestern side of this in a later game as we're going to – we're starting in the Big Ten here with three games in the Big Ten. But they find a way on the road. And, listen, I realize, obviously, not every team in the conference is is, is going to be a world beater. I mean, it, Northwestern, obviously, is towards the bottom of the Big Ten and not going anywhere. But – I think in this conference with the war of attrition that you're, is guaranteed to pile up, especially if you don't have the kind of break that Michigan's had, like finding a way to win on the road in February still says something. And, you know, they were there's only a short line there. They were only given three points uh, on the closing line. I grabbed four with Northwestern. But that was a prototypical sandwich spot for Indiana. They were coming off of the Hoosiers, that is, were coming off of a win against Iowa, and had this game against Ohio State on deck. And, you know, you throw in a game against a bottom feeder in the conference in, in Northwestern. I think to a degree, I can understand why they didn't play that well. And I had Northwestern in that game. And fortunately, cashed my ticket as Indiana wins in double overtime by three. And I ended up getting four uh, on the opening number there. Uh, but I, So what I'm getting at is when you see these teams in look-ahead spots, find ways to still pull through when it's clear that they didn't have their best, and then they're stepping up in competition. One could argue that, you know, all of a sudden they're in for a rude awakening. I tend to look at that more as a positive and find that more to be a bet-on type of signal as far as, okay, they won with, let's call it a C effort against Northwestern. I expect them to be better because they honestly have been playing well recently and on the road all season Indiana is 4-1 and 1 against the spread in true road games they covered a neutral site game against Florida State you know I mentioned that win that they had against Iowa prior to the Northwestern game they also won at Iowa prior to beating Iowa at home so they have a season sweep of Iowa that was one of those impressive road games I was talking about covered a game at Wisconsin okay so and I talked about the Florida State cover so when they've stepped up in competition even if they've had to go on the road, Hoosiers have done well. And so I expect them to play a lot better here than they did against Northwestern. And as I said, I think the fact that they still found a way to win the game straight up in a conference like this, that's just going to wear you down and beat you up so much. I still think there's something to be said for that in the middle of February. Last point here. I think Ohio State's getting expensive in the marketplace two weeks ago. And we're going to get to Michigan state in a minute here as you got to pick on them. 
Two weeks ago, Michigan State goes to Columbus and is a five-and-a-half-point road dog, okay? Now the Buckeyes are laying six-and-a-half at home against Indiana. You know, it, it just seems like they're, they're wait, a little expensive here. Say that again. Let's say that again. Michigan two, State? Michigan State goes to Columbus two weeks yeah. ago and mm-hmm. it is a five-and-a-half-point road dog, okay? Mm-hmm. You with me? Okay. Yeah. Now Indiana goes there and... Indiana's a six-and-a-half-point road dog. So you are you getting at the point of, like, oh, well, what's going on there? It's Ohio State or pass? Is that kind of what you're saying? Well, no, I mean, I would think that – Because I just think it's clearly – everybody's seeing Ohio State win. Mind you, in between that Michigan State game I mentioned and this game against Indiana, Ohio State picked up a road win at Iowa. So I just think Ohio State's a little pricey here, and – against an Indiana team that I trust and is playing well, you had them, and, and they gave Illinois all they could handle in a game in Bloomington a couple weeks ago. I I don't see how that doesn't continue here. I think the line's too big. Hoosiers c- get the cover. Best of luck, sir. <laughs> On that note, let's keep things moving and go to East Lansing, where we're going to stay in the Big Ten the Michigan State Spartans catching four at home against the Iowa Hawkeyes, total of 152. Uh, Bill, you're on the Spartans here, and I'm curious. They have picked up a few wins. They did cover against Iowa the last time they played. Um, is this just a matter of you thinking that they're at least doing enough good things there, at least the guys in the green and white, where for 20 minutes they could keep up with Iowa? Yeah, pretty much. That's that's what I'm looking at. And I, let's be real. Iowa has been very fraudulent as as of late, and you know I know a lot of people have been saying that all year. Um, but you know, they've had some really really strong strong outings, but they just don't seem to want to play defense at all. Um, and that's going to be a problem come tournament time. However, we're not talking about the tournament. We're talking about you know lowly Michigan State. I think they're what ten and seven coming into this game. Um, on the outside looking in of, of the bubble, which is crazy. But although they're on the outside looking in the bubble, they could still get on the bubble. Um, and we all know how the committee tends to favor these blue blood programs when they are in those situations. So the door is very, very slightly open still for Michigan State. Um, I still believe in Izzo being able to get these guys up and ready to go. Michigan State plus 7.8 points differential uh, in the first half at home. Over the last two games at home, they were up eight against Penn State, which was a cover. They were up by 12 against Nebraska, which was a cover. Flipped the script over to Iowa, and they've had some struggles in the first half on the road recently. They were down by two at Indiana. That was a loser. They were also down by two to Illinois. That was also a loser. It is a bit of a revenge spot here. Um, They were only down by five at halftime to the same Iowa team on the road. So the fact that I'm catching four here in the first half, I like my spot here. I wouldn't I wouldn't touch them on the money line for the first half, but uh, I like getting the points here, and that's what we're going to be playing. Yeah, I'm going to stay away. I, I, I had Iowa in their last game against Rutgers. I kind of thought it was a little bit of a get-right spot for the Hawkeyes, and they do win that game by double figures. You know, and for what it's worth, you mentioned Iowa not defending as much. The last couple of games, they've at least been a little better on that end of the floor, holding Rutgers to 66 and Indiana to 67. Uh, but, hey, maybe there is a little bit of some late-season magic here for the Spartans. Uh, I mentioned it being competitive against Iowa, winning, granted not covering, against Nebraska and Penn State in their last couple of games. Maybe they are starting to uh, find a little something. And, you know, this I will say this this line also felt really short. Uh, just based on the perceptions of these two programs, at least for the seasons. And you're right, Iowa has kind of been relatively unimpressive the last couple weeks, so maybe the line's about right. But whenever we see a line like this, we talked about this uh, a little bit earlier in the week. And again, this I'm not saying this is like a holy crap, what's going on, like, not like Michigan State's favored here or anything. Mm-hmm. But I did this did strike me as a little bit of a short number. And whenever we're talking about teams like that where you know the line just seems a little off and we're backing them solely on the funkiness of the number. We mentioned how those teams often need to get off to good starts because if – if and, and I know you're only playing Michigan State in the first half, but I think it's one of those spots where, uh, you know, if Michigan State you're, – you're, we're going to know pretty early here 
uh, if the Spartans have a chance and if uh, Iowa jumps off real quick and it looks like Iowa's back, then they're going to win this game by double digits easily. So I, I think I'm with you in terms of if you're Michigan State, you better start well or you're not going to have a chance in this game. Right, exactly. Agreed. Uh, let's wrap things up in the Big Ten uh, before we move to the rest of the conferences. Uh, and I want to go to Piscataway, where uh, I'm going to look to Rutgers. This is a 5 o'clock Eastern start time. Rotation number 692. Rutgers is a relatively steep home favorite, laying 8 against Northwestern. Total of 138. And this is going to be one of my shorter handicaps, only because it's just a spot that I liked. I mentioned the Indiana win against Northwestern. Northwestern had countless opportunities to close that game out in regulation in the first overtime. Couldn't get it done, couldn't get it done, couldn't get it done. And I was just sweating galore, <laughs> you know, figuratively, obviously, thinking that they were going to even cover because, as you always say, Bill, mm-hmm. uh, college overtime is where college basketball dogs go to die. And only getting four felt like that's where I was headed with Northwestern. So fortunately they get me the cover, but as I'm watching, cause you know, that, that Northwestern got off to a good start that game. That was like, I'm watching that game thinking, all right, I nailed the handicap here. Sandwich spot for Indiana. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Northwestern's going to win the game. And I got four points anyway. And they're just self-destructing and finding every <laughs> way not to do that towards the end of regulation and the end of overtime. And they did end up losing the game. And when it's a team like Northwestern that's closer to the bottom of its conference standings and isn't going to March Madness and doesn't have much to play for, I have serious questions as to how they're going to get back up that next game. And one of my buddies brought this up as well, who was watching the game and was on Northwestern. He had him in the first half, so he had far less of a sweat. He goes, you fade the crap out of these guys the next game because <laughs> when you lose like this and when you're a team like Northwestern and you already don't have much on the line – it is not going to go well, especially in a league like the Big Ten. So that's all the anti-Northwestern stuff here. And then let's look at Rutgers. They're coming back home off of a double-digit road loss against Iowa. Have to think that they're probably a little angry, ready to take some anger out on Northwestern. And another reason I kind of like this, Rutgers already had a five-game losing skid in January, which included losing to Penn State. So I think if you're Steve Peichel, you're probably saying to your guys, hey, we need to have a laser focus here, and we need to start playing our best basketball going into March, and we cannot go into another skid like we had in January. And while we lost at Iowa, that's one thing. Uh, we really got to right the ship here against the team that we should absolutely beat. I-, I think they drop the hammer here and win by around 15 points. I'll take Rutgers. It's minus eight for a pick. I know they burned us before on this pod, but I'll, uh. I'll take the Scarlet Knights. Yeah, I'm going to be probably passing on this one, and it's mainly because of the fact that Rutgers is also in that same kind of spot that you mentioned that uh, Indiana was in when you played them against Northwestern last time, right? Because you got Rutgers coming off. I mean, there was a loss. They lost to Iowa. Now they have Northwestern. Right, but again, that's why I I think of it more because, remember, Indiana beat Iowa. Right. So I, I just kind of like the fact that they're coming off the loss. Like, I'm expecting a laser-focused team. Okay. Okay, yeah. I mean, I can see it either way. I, the only thing, that obviously, that worries me is the fact that they're going to be headed out to Michigan next. And, um, I mean, who sure. knows what Michigan's going to be like by that point. But I do feel like Rutgers is going to have to be looking a little bit ahead in that because that's going to be a last-ranked team that they play uh, the rest of the way. And if they want to – I mean, I guess is Rutgers on the bubble, 11-7? and seven? Um you know, it's definitely going to matter for seeding, but to solidify them, I think with a win at Michigan, uh, I think that's all but solidifies them into the tournament. So uh, that'll be a big game. So I would worry a little bit about the look-ahead spot, but again, I mean, your handicaps seem pretty on point. So best of luck there. Let's go from a former Big East team, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, to a few current Big East teams, and we're going to start with a game that maybe not have as much eyes as many Sets of eyes on it, excuse me. But nonetheless, as we always say, all tickets cash the same. And it's the Butler Bulldogs traveling to the nation's capital to take on the Georgetown Hoyas. We're seeing Butler catching one and a half, total of 132. This is the first of three consensus plays that myself and Bill are going to give out. Uh, Bill, I'll let you fire first here. I imagine our reasons are going to be relatively similar. Uh, But you like the short home chalk in Georgetown. 
Yes, I do. Uh, I'll keep it short and sweet here. Uh, Butler, last two games are, are W's. Georgetown's last two games are L's. However, uh, <laughs> the W's State. were... Right. <laughs> right. Well, then, and, I mean, the W's were against DePaul, who's garbage. And St. John's, who looked like they were kind of turning the corner and, and making a run here within the conference, and, uh, you know, they faltered there. The two losses that Georgetown have are to the two best teams in the conference. They lost by 10 to Nova, and they got smacked around by Creighton. Um, the fact that they're home in a revenge spot, they lost by eight in their last meeting as five-and-a-half-point dogs. Now the fact that we're, they're favored here, um, I, I like this spot. I like them get. I like the fact that they're favored in it. Um, I feel like if they would have been a, a two-point dog or something like that, I'd be, I'd be much more worried. Um, but the fact that they've taken these losses that are against really, really strong teams as a revenge spot, and, and, and look, before that, they actually knocked off Creighton um, in the meeting they had before that. So they weren't playing terrible basketball. They just ran into, you know, a, a Villanova team that seems to be rounding into form and then a Creighton team off of a revenge spot for them. So uh, you can't blame them for those two losses. At home, only given that one, I like Georgetown to win by a handful. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, you mentioned it, obviously, the recent results here would suggest that Butler should be favored, and I see Georgetown as the short home chalk. I definitely have to lean to that side. Based on that, Butler gets off a barn burner win against St. John's. I caught the end of that game. Uh, you know, it goes to overtime, and and re- let's remember here, Bill. Like neither of these teams are going anywhere. So this is something I've mentioned with middling teams in conferences, or even teams towards the bottom of conferences when they get a big win, and let, you mentioned it, St. John's have been playing well. Like, that was a nice win for Butler. Sure. When when they get those kinds of wins, and they're not, like, for their season, like, there's not much else for them to play for, right? I mean, Butler and Georgetown both aren't going to the big dance. These are two teams towards the bottom of the Big East. When they get, when you see a team get a win like that, I have always, you know, serious questions about what are they going to do the next game? Like, it feels like a flat spot for Butler, coming off of the St. John's win. Hoyas, on the other hand, I know I lost on them on this podcast against Creighton, but they had been playing well prior to that Creighton game, and I'm inclined to think, especially given where this number's at, where they're a short favorite, that they get right back on track here. Four straight covers coming out of a COVID pause at the end of January. Uh, That is when that streak got started. Um, And not only did Butler have that big win against St. John's, but... Butler also plays Marquette next, so maybe we have a little bit of a sandwich spot here because Butler lost by three the last time it played Marquette earlier this season. And again, for teams like Butler, Georgetown, whatever, that don't have a lot on the line, you would think that avenging that loss against a team like Marquette is going to mean more than whatever happens against Georgetown. So that, coupled with the fact that, again, I think they just could be flat off the St. John's win, gets me away from Butler. Hoyas uh, played Butler. You mentioned it, revenge spot. They played them just before the COVID pause and lost by eight. And that was when Georgetown really wasn't going so well. And I mentioned how they came out of that pause and really have played well. Uh, I definitely have to think Georgetown is the side here. And again, the number obviously tips you off uh, by itself. So uh, I'm going to be on Georgetown as well. Uh, Let's go to... Probably the, I mentioned Indiana, Ohio State is a game that I'm pretty interested in, but probably the biggest game on the schedule is in the Big East, and it is Villanova traveling to Omaha to take on the Creighton Blue Jays, and we're seeing Villanova laying two and a half on the road against Creighton, total of 144 here, another consensus play for the two of us. Mm -hmm. Bill, you're going to fire away again, we're both on Villanova. Love Love my Villanova Wildcats in this one. Uh, I was really itching to to do some handicapping for the slate tomorrow, uh, early this afternoon, and I had no lines really to go off of, so I did what I normally will do, is I'll take, you know, maybe the top 20 games that I like to look at and kind of guess the lines are going to be. Uh, I had Nova as a short dog in, in this. The fact that they came out as favorite spoke volumes about where Vegas sees this game going. Um, it's very rare you see two ranked teams in conference, uh, the home team being a small dog here. It just it didn't add up to me. Uh, so that's why I leaned that way initially. And then when I started to dive into it uh, to actually do my handicap, 
excuse me, uh, the fact that they're, this is the first game, right? Like, there's no revenge spot here. Um, right. There's no look ahead. These are, these are the two top dogs within the conference. Um, Villanova, 2-0 and versus ranked opponents. On the other side, Creighton, they're only 1-2 and against ranked opponents. Right there tells me that Villanova likes to get up for these big games. As a road favorite, Villanova is 4-1 and this season. They're 6-3 and in the conference. On the other side, Creighton, as good as they are, uh, against the number, they've struggled. In conference, they're only 5-10 and uh, against the spread. Uh, and this Villanova team, you know, they've had that pause. Uh, they, they sort of struggled a little bit sluggishly out of the gate after the pause. They're back right now. I mean, they're really rounding the form against Marquette. Uh, I really like to see what Robinson Earl did in that game. Looked like he was getting back to the guy that's been averaging 50% from the field. Uh, and, you know, I mean, there's you can name six different guys off of this roster that, that step up uh, night in and night out. But yeah, Robinson Earl is a, an enormous piece for them. Uh, and the fact that he looks like he's – in a position now where he's super comfortable. He's going to be a guy that's going to be getting 20 and 10 almost every single night. And to be able to rely on that when you have all these guards that can come in and just fire away. And that's the other piece. I, I can't remember what I looked at on Kempom, but I don't believe Creighton defends the three that well. And we all know that Nova loves to shoot that. So uh, if they get hot from the outside, it could be getting dark early out there uh, in Omaha. So give me the Wildcats. Lay the points. Uh, I see them winning this one and doing it fairly easily. Yeah, I'm with you. And, you know, a lot of the reasons you mentioned, Villanova, I mean, gosh, it feels like as long as Jay Wright's there, they're going to be, uh, you know, guard-oriented, shoot a lot of threes, and, and, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, uh, you know, from that standpoint, I could certainly understand, you know, how Robinson Earl obviously had a huge game against Marquette with 27 points and going 10 of 11 from the field. Uh, but obviously, uh, you know, really everybody did. They scored 96 points. So, right. you know, uh, you know, Gillespie, we know he can kind of heat up at any time. And um, I, I think for me, though, I mean, you lay out a lot of the pro Nova angles. They're number eight in the power ratings for Kempom. Creighton's down at 20, right? So I think that we're getting, again, sounding a little square here. We're get, I think we're getting clearly the better team here, though, at a pretty short price. Uh, so that makes me pretty interested in Villanova when you're talking about a line of just two and a half. And I do have some questions about Creighton's recent form, despite that 15-point win against Georgetown. Like, do we really think that that really got Creighton back to being right on this level with Villanova? Like, Villanova, on the other hand, throttles Marquette, and, you know, they picked up a win against Georgetown. Granted, didn't cover. But I think Nova's coming in, playing with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, because remember, earlier in this month, Villanova goes to St. John's and loses the game as nine-point road chalk. And, yep. you know, was, I, I think y- 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 you saw them immediately respond right. with back-to-back double-digit wins. Now it all comes to a head going to Creighton. And, again, as I said, it's a Creighton team that prior to that victory wasn't playing that well, had cover, had failed to cover the last three games the Blue Jays had, that is, prior to the Creighton or the – Georgetown game. So I think this is a great spot for Villanova to make a statement here and say, this is still our league. We had a hiccup against St. John's, but we've righted the ship the last couple games. And now the whole nation or most of college basketball's fans are going to be watching us. Now uh, Villanova wins the game uh, by probably five to eight points. I would say at least. Yeah. So. I, didn't, I wasn't really looking too much at the Creighton recent form, but as you're talking, I'm starting to look at it and my God, they lost at Butler by four. They followed. They were with 14 points dog at home against Georgetown and lost. Yep. And then they had, they lost by four against Providence. 14 point their favorite. Bowl, excuse me. Yeah. Their only win of decent was against, uh, was against UConn, but they didn't even, I mean, depending on where you got the number at, probably didn't cover there. They beat Seton Hall by four. Uh, they only beat DePaul by seven. They lost that Georgetown team, like you said. They struggled against Marquette and only beat them by three. And they finally got right here with Georgetown. Yeah, they don't look that hot coming into this game. And <laughs> like you said, Villanova, I always talk about it. it. It's it's those losses, like they had to St. John. Sometimes they're a blessing in disguise. And that kind of seemed like what it was for them. It was a little bit of a wake-up call. Uh, hey, you know, this conference isn't phenomenal, but it's still, you've got to be able to come in and, and actually play, you know, A-level ball 
when you come in. I was going to say, it just kind of feels like Creighton's going through the motions, and Nova's yeah. not the team you want to play when that's no. happening. No, and like I said, if they start, if they shoot well from the outside, which they're very capable of doing, uh, watch out, because it can get dark really, really early. So, hopefully we're both right on this one. We get another consensus win for the people, and Everybody can pay off that credit card debt, like you said, on Valentine's Day. <laughs> there you go. Well, a few more picks for us here on Full Slate. Uh, we're going to go back to the early window of games as we have a 1 o'clock Eastern tip in the Big 12. Final consensus play on the pod features the Oklahoma Sooners traveling to Morgantown to take on the West Virginia Mountaineers. We're seeing Oklahoma catching about three, two and a half at some shops. Total of 144 in this one. I'll start as we're both going to be on the Sooners. Um, you know, Bill, we had, we've had we mentioned this on a few pods previously. This is just a – now, it got a little lighter with West Virginia's game against Baylor getting postponed because the Bears are having some COVID-related problems. But we're in the middle of a stretch here, and this is what I was getting to. We've been mentioning this stretch of West Virginia conference games where it is a bit of a gauntlet, to say the least. Kansas – at Texas Tech, now they play Oklahoma. They had Baylor on the schedule. As I said, that game's postponed now. They still got to go at Texas after this. It just feels like sooner or later, and I know this was part of my handicap on why I like Texas Tech uh, last week or at the beginning of this week, and I lost, but I'm, I'm going back to the well, and you know, I just think eventually here you're going to see West Virginia get a little bit of a uh, gut punch uh, in these league games. Uh, and, 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 hey, Oklahoma – like, let's give the Sooners credit. They're playing well, and it feels like they're kind of flying under the radar a little bit in the Big 12. I mean, ESPN had the Texas Tech-West uh, Virginia game, excuse me, on Monday night this past week. And, you know, Oklahoma gets that big non-conference win last week against Alabama. And, you know, here they are. You know, they, they have a previous win against West Virginia. Like, here they are. And that's really what interested me here. They were a one-and-a-half-point home favorite against West Virginia back on January the 2nd. Now they're a two-and-a-half, three-point dog. And I know that January 2nd was a long time ago. That was over six weeks ago. But having said that, you know, it's not like Oklahoma really regressed at all since no. that game. You know, like, they've won six of seven and covered six of the last seven. And I mentioned it, one of those wins was not conference win against Alabama. You know, so, you know... I just think eventually here this tough stretch is going to catch up to West Virginia. And here, you know, gosh, I mean, on Monday I was I was laying six against them. And, and so I was willing to, you know, now I'm getting, you know, two and a half, three. You know, it, it just – and I'm not saying Oklahoma is as good as Texas Tech, but it kind of feels like they're all right there in this, in this tier behind Baylor in the Big 12. As I said, Oklahoma won the last game 75-71 against West Virginia – Total in this game is at 144, and, you know, if this game hangs around in the 70s again, comes down to the wire, comes down to a possession, I think the Sooners can get the cover. Uh, we talked about this as well with West Virginia. They've been playing all these super high-scoring games, you know, and scoring in the 80s and 90s on a regular basis. Well, again, we're having a total at 144. If there's a game, one of these games that they get picked off in, obviously they're not going to score as much, and it's going to be a game decided in the 70s. Why is tell me why it's not here? I'll take Oklahoma plus the short number. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. Uh, looking back at it, you, you're saying how there's you know the tier right below Baylor. It, it is absolutely crazy to look at what these previously ranked Big Twelve teams have been. Team in Kansas, they were ranked as high as third at one point this year, <laughs> not in the top twenty-five. Texas, I think they got all the way up to at least four, if not three. Uh, you have Texas Tech, who's been as high as seven. They're still in the top 25, though, right, Texas? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, there, there's just been so many of these Big 12 teams that have cracked the top 10, and even a few that have track, cracked the top 5. But it's just kind of been this, like, ebb and flow to it. Um, and, again, like, we've talked about this before. Those numbers before the team name mean absolutely nothing. Um, it's all based off of politics and what people have – uh, perceptions of these teams. It's really not based upon numbers, and that's why we all love the Ken Palm rankings because they are much much truer and, and more indicative of what these teams are really capable of in a night in and night out. I'm going to be playing Oklahoma here with you. Uh, like you mentioned, the stretch for West Virginia here is, is really, really tough. I actually, again, going back to my method of 
putting out a line previous to when it, it played. I, I had I had West Virginia as a seven to eight point uh, favorite here again. So when I saw it come out this low at three, it really told me that Oklahoma seems to be the better look here. And then again, when I dove deeper into it, Oklahoma being six and zero against the spread, their last six against teams that are six hundred or better. Uh, they're seven and one. Their last eight overall. They're seven and one against ranked opponents. I mean, that's how many other teams in the country are seven and that's one. That's what I'm saying, Bill. Like we do this. We've been doing teams. this like every Friday night. I feel like for Saturday morning, you know, for the games. Mm-hmm. And how many times are we talking about a big Oklahoma game? Yeah, yeah oh, absolutely. They're delivered. Yeah, seven and one. I mean, it's that's crazy against ranked teams. I mean, to to be that consistent is. Is, is is special. 3-1 is Road Dogs. And then you go on the other side, West Virginia is as good as they've been this year. They're only 3-4 and four as home favorites, so they're not that great when they're laying the number at home. Um, the, <laughs> this is kind of odd. It's an odd trend that I looked at. I always look at the rest advantage and disadvantage just to see if there's anything there, anything that really sticks out. Most of the time there's not. Um, but in this case, it's kind of strange. Oklahoma, when they are at a rest Disadvantage, which they are in this matchup, they're three and zero. Other side, West Virginia, <laughs> when they are on an arrest advantage, they're zero and three. Look, I don't know how much it take from that. Um, well, but I, I, mean, I, you know, I will say, I think in, in a weird way that actually maybe helps a little here because of COVID, and I don't even know if that specifically applies here, like West Virginia, any of those specific games, if they had a COVID outbreak or whatever. But I just think like. Being in that regular mode of playing two games a week, you know, mm. Monday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, whatever, it means a little more here. Yeah, I, I, like, I agree. Look, I don't know how much stock we can put into it, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's always the argument teams have when they say, yeah, come tournament time, right? Like, you get hot and you're playing well, right. boom, boom, boom. You, you rattle off those wins. You win those, like, four and four days in the conference tournament, and all of a sudden nobody wants to play it. Exactly, and that's why a lot of people like to argue those buys a lot of times hurt teams because they sit them, or, or when you sit players, you know, previous to the season ending, you know, they feel like they're not in the right frame of mind and their bodies aren't right headed into the next game because they've had that extra layoff. So, you know, maybe that, that stays true here with West Virginia. They might not have their legs because they have a little bit – uh, more time off, whereas Oklahoma likes to play apparently on a shorter rest and, and stay hot. So, yeah, playing the Sooners, 7-1 against these ranked opponents. Um, I, I'm not going to dabble with the money line here. I'll take the points. I, I see it at plus three now. I'm curious to see if it ticks up at all. Uh, but, again, I had this at a seven to eight point West Virginia uh, line here, and the fact that it didn't come out that way just sent alarms off in my head. So glad you're on it with me. Another consensus play. Hopefully we can get 3-0. I'm going to ride solo here on a pick in the Pac-12 uh, before we get to our crossfire to wrap things up. Uh, and I want to take us, obviously, out west. It's the Pac-12, but we're going uh, to Tucson, where the Arizona Wildcats are a short two-point favorite against the Oregon Ducks. Total in this game of 145.5. And, and, Bill, I was just tipped off by this line enough where I had to play Arizona. And... You know, the more I look at it, you know, Ken Palm basically has just his two even teams. Oregon is number 35 in the Ken Palm power ratings. Arizona is number 37. Um, Arizona, the much weaker team defensively at 80th in the defensive efficiency uh, versus 19th in offensive efficiency for the Wildcats. But for what it's worth there, we're obviously seeing a total decently high at 145.5. But that's not really where I am. I'm looking to the Wildcats. I'm seeing Arizona favored and just thinking, well, again, it's the middle of February. Arizona's got this self-imposed postseason ban. What are they really going to be up for? That's always going to be something you question with these teams. Whereas Oregon is smack dab on that bubble. And it kind of reminded me a little bit, obviously to a much lesser degree, because the line was around pick when Oregon went to Arizona State. And I'm just thinking, well, in these games when Oregon really needs to win and is a short dog, you know, it just opens your eyes a little bit. And that's kind of what I was thinking here with Oregon traveling to Tucson and getting two points. 
Then when you look more at Arizona's recent form, again, I think this kind of speaks to my point about these teams with the postseason bans. Like, we never really know what we're getting. Five and five straight up last ten. Four and six against the spread last ten is Arizona. So you're throwing a dart here, and maybe to a degree that's what I'm doing. But I think here Arizona's saying, okay, this is our season. The next three games for Arizona, Oregon at UCLA at USC. I think they're saying, you know, for recruiting purposes, for their own team morale, this is, we're playing three, definitely two of the California teams, tournament teams, and maybe a third in Oregon. So I think they go balls to the wall here. Like this is, as I said, their season because they're not going to be in the Pac-12 tournament, obviously not going to be in the NCAA tournament. And particularly with this game at home, with Oregon, you know, Arizona looking at Oregon, thinking they can put a dent in Oregon's tournament resume, and seeing Arizona laying a short number here, it was Arizona or a pass for me. Not my favorite play of the podcast here, but enough for me to play the Wildcats minus the short number. Because I was on Arizona State against Oregon, as I mentioned. Oregon wins that game. It's not that close, and there's still a two-point dog here. Like, it's just not adding up, so I'll take Arizona. Yeah, and I guess I'd probably be with you on this, but I got burned in that Arizona State-Oregon yeah. game. So, I, you know, that worries me. Jumping on the other Arizona team, kind of in the same spot, got the same number. I'm going to be a pass on it, but um, best of luck on that one. Certainly appreciate that. Let's wrap things up in the ACC for what should be another fun game in Charlottesville. Maybe Bill doesn't think so, as the Carolina, <laughs> North Carolina Tar Heels make the trip to – the University of Virginia, the Hoos laying six and a half at home, total of 129 and a half. Uh, we're going to have a crossfire here to wrap the pot up. Uh, I got the cash on the last one, starting to even this out a little bit. I got to keep pick, pick up a few more crossfire wins before the season ends. Uh, but nonetheless, Bill, you're on Virginia here, laying the six and a half. Let's hear it. Yeah, uh, North Carolina 0-2 versus ranked opponents. They don't seem to get up for these big games. Uh, and UNC, I've been saying it all year. It's it's funny, I'm on the opposite side of it today. I tend to be playing UNC a lot this year, uh, and I've been saying it the whole year, that their best offense is offensive rebound, missed shots, uh, where they are second in the country. However, this, this Virginia team, they're 10th in the country in keeping opponents off the offensive class. I think they're going to be able to do that and really minimize North Carolina's ability to score the basket. Other side, West Virginia, I'm sorry, Virginia, Three-point shooting, the number nine in the country in percentage. They're almost 40% as a team from deep, and North Carolina does not defend it well. They're up at 274th in the country. And then even in two-point field goals, uh, Virginia being 50, almost 57% from the field, good enough for 13th in the country. North Carolina is over 100th in the country in that one. Um, and then when we talk about, you know, when the when the line's close here, game's tight, uh, we want a team that can shoot the – shoot the ball from the free throw line, and that's Virginia. I mean, they're number two in the country. They're almost 82% uh, from the foul line, and North Carolina, uh, it doesn't really matter. I mean, their opponents shoot close to 70, but I don't know how that really factors into anything because you don't defend the free throw line. But uh, I I like Virginia in this one. I think the fact that they're going to be able to put the points up, they seem to be kind of turning a corner as well. Uh, They were my pick preseason to win the ACC, uh, it looks like they are in a position to do so uh, as of, you know, 12, 12 a.m. on Saturday, <laughs> uh, you know, because anything can happen. But I like the way that Virginia's been playing as of late, uh, finally getting back into the top ten. Uh, and I don't believe that they had played previous. Yeah, no, they hadn't played previously. This is going to be the only the only matchup between the two. The only thing that does worry me just a bit is the fact that they have Florida State up next on the road, so there is that little bit of a look-ahead spot. But again, uh, North Carolina, just they're not going to be able to eat off the glass in this one. Virginia's going to keep them off of it, and I think they're going to get the cover. This is, a, this is a line where I said, previous to seeing it coming out, <clears throat> if I would have seen it shorter, I would have leaned more North Carolina here, but I think it's pretty close to being right at it, so... I think there's a better chance of Virginia winning by double digits as opposed to I see North Carolina holding this to a one-possession game. 
Yeah, no, I got to take the other side here, and and I think this line's too big. UVA only four and four against the spread uh, at home this year, so again, I think that probably speaks to some of their lines being a little inflated. Granted, the Tar Heels are only two and six ATS on the road, uh, but Bill, you mentioned the Carolina zero and two against ranked opponents thing. I'm throwing that completely out. The two games were back in December against Texas and Iowa, you know. So I think the bottom line is this is a changed Carolina team. I think it's changed for the better. We talked a little bit about how all these blue blood programs aren't playing well, and if there was one that could maybe salvage its season, I was probably more in the camp of UCLA getting it turned around, and I lost on them last night out in Pullman against Washington State. Um Maybe it's North Carolina, and I'm 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 gonna drink the Kool Aid a little here with the Tar Heels. Uh, Virginia, going back to the anti-Virginia stuff, though, the recent form for the Hoos isn't great. Last four games, they haven't won a single one by double digits. Had that loss at Virginia Tech, only beat NC State by seven, beat Pitt by seven, beat Georgia Tech by eight. All I'm asking is for a North Carolina team, which has won seven of its last nine to be just as competitive as NC State, Pitt, and Georgia Tech were. North Carolina coming in at 60th in the Kempom offensive efficiency rankings. That's the weaker side for them. You talked about the offensive rebounding kind of being their best offense. Well, they're starting to score a little more. They've at least been in the mid-60s in this run of having won 7 of 9. Um, and they're 32nd in defensive efficiency, so I don't have any doubts that North Carolina could play a lower-scoring game, and still keep it competitive against Virginia. When they went to uh, Charlottesville last year, excuse me, North Carolina lost 64-62. I, I see a similar game unfolding, goes right down to the wire, and hey, all of a sudden, Roy Williams, of all coaches, gets to kind of play the underdog card here. And he could say, hey, we're playing well, and nobody's talking about us because the bigger story in college basketball is if you are a brand program, if you're a blue blood, you aren't playing well. And so all of a sudden, North Carolina kind of flying under the radar here at 7-2 and two straight up in their last nine, as I said, coming into this game with a chance to make a bit of a statement. Right now, Lenardi's got him as the last four buys in his bracket, so obviously still in need of a big win to kind of solidify themselves in the big dance. They'll probably make it anyway, but I, I think this is a nice spot for North Carolina to go on the road and give Virginia all it can handle. Game goes right down to the wire. I'm on, I'm, excuse me, I'm on North Carolina. No. The six and a half. See, Almost said all of that and then agree with you. You're already slipping the, on you're it. You're in my head. You're beating <laughs> me on all of these. <laughs> hey, before we get out of here, our producer just texted us about Drake and Loyola Chicago. And I did not have this in our lineup, but I'm going to give it out anyway. I absolutely love Loyola Chicago in this game. I feel like everybody loves Drake. It's all about the Drake, 19-1 and one on the season. They have no idea how good this Loyola Chicago team is. Like they, This is a team that, come tournament time, could make a, a very good run to the Sweet 16. I wouldn't be surprised if they were able to make it to the uh, Elite Eight here. They are so strong defensively in every single category. And on, on offense, they're not terrible. I mean, they're 38th in offensive efficiency. Effective field goal percentage, they're number six in the country. This team can do it on both sides of the ball. I'm going to be taking Loyola Chicago, laying the points. I want to get it out soon because I already see it tick up to four and a half, opened at two and a half. To me, it's a good sign with almost 60% of the public on the other side of Drake. Loyola Chicago, everybody's going to know who they are come March. Book that. Yeah, wow. You know, I was looking more at this game as Alex's text came in as well. Um, obviously, Cameron Crutwood's still there. Um, he had played a role in their run to the Final Four uh, with that uh, Sister Jean team back, mm-hmm. what, three, four years ago now that was? Yeah. Um, and, and you know, Bill, it'll be interesting. I, I'm not going to have a play here, uh, but this is definitely a score that I'll be keeping an eye on because let's just step aside from the handicapping for a second. What do you think happens here with whoever doesn't win the Missouri Valley? Like, I think Drake is worthy of an at-large. Uh, but gosh, you know, I, I'm always in, intrigued by how these mid-major teams that are seemingly good enough to get at-large bids, how they're handled. Yeah, 
I don't I don't know what the answer is going to be. If any year, I feel like this could be a year where you would have two of these teams get in, um, and I think it might really rely on what happens in these two matchups they have uh, tomorrow and Sunday. You know, if it's a split, then I can see Drake, um, you know, not solidifying their spot in the tournament, but I think that's going to be a huge help for them, being at the only ranked opponent they're going to be playing all season. Um, but it's tough. But again, of all years, this is such a wacky year with so many top programs that aren't going to be making the tournament this year. Uh, maybe they're going to show a little bit more love to these mid-majors who have actually been you know, going through this schedule and getting the job done. Because these back-to-back games that these mid-major programs are playing against each other, it is not easy to win back-to-back yeah. against these teams who know each other so, so well. So uh, it'll all depend on the committee and how much they weigh that in. But I would like to see both of these teams because I think both of these teams – you know, against a middle-of-the-road Big 5 team, Big 6 team, uh, could get the job done. And I would like to see those matchups. But, unfortunately, it's out of our hands. It's in the hands of the guys that put in the same teams every year. And, you know, we, we've, we've, seen, we've seen these mid-majors prove themselves time and again the last few years. And I can't – I don't know who it was that had been saying it for so long. It was only a matter of time before a 16 seed knocked off the one. And, boom, we got it couple years ago so right anything can happen there he is he's lucha larry at larry's locks two on gambling twitter i know him as bill chrissy uh, i'm greg frank at undercover greg for all of my picks shoot us both a follow follow the podcast at full underscore slate underscore pod and hey for the guys out there that need to recoup a little bit of cash after they probably or at least hopefully took care of their significant other this week for valentine's day we hope that this is the podcast for you. Again, this has been Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. Bill, always good to chat. Uh, We'll do it again. Two more next week. Absolutely. There he is, Bill Christie. I'm Greg Frank. Everyone, enjoy your weekends. And, of course, please play responsibly. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.